How's it going, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Blake Pace Podcast. We are here Monday. It is October. We are almost officially a month into the NFL season. We've got Monday Night Football wrapping up tonight. The red-hot Kansas City Chiefs traveling to Denver to take on the Broncos, trying to get back on track after that Week 3 loss to the Baltimore Ravens. We'll preview that game toward the end of the episode. Um, A couple other things that we're going to be talking about today. Um, We're going to go over my picks for the week. And, you know, it was a a meh week, I'll be honest with you. We'll we'll break it down in a little bit. Um, Then we're going to talk about Colts versus Texans, a really interesting game. Um, You know, it was the first first game that in um, film, just looking back at the film that I kind of just watched the full game and kind of took a little bit here and there from what I saw. Um, then we're going to go on and we're going to talk about how we are in the golden age of the NFL for blank. Specific position, I'll let you know what the golden age of the NFL that we are in coming up. And then, of course, we'll end with a preview of Monday Night Football. But first off, I wanted to make you guys aware of what's going on with the Blake Pace podcast and what I'm kind of trying to do this season. Um, I feel like I've mentioned it before, but if not, every week on YouTube, I publish a video called Blake's Big Ten. It's my power ranking, my top 10 teams of the NFL heading into the following week. So that usually comes out around Friday. Um, sometimes if it's if we're a little backed up, it'll be on Saturday. So kind of just my top 10 teams. I'd give it to you on here, but then you'd be less inclined to go watch the video for it. And so I'm not going to tell you. So make sure to, you know, always check that out. You can also subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you're listening on YouTube, congratulations. You've already started. Now leave it a like subscribe you'll get all of my content through the nfl season i have also finally bought nfl game pass um this was something that i had been thinking about over the last few weeks that could really help out the show and um because you know be honest with you i can't catch every game on sunday i can't catch every game throughout the week i can barely catch you know you know more than four you know if i've got a few screens going on at the same time but i'm not really watching the full game so i went out and bought game pass And I am going to be able to watch the condensed games in my free time. Um, And so one of the things that we'll be starting is kind of film breakdown. And so every Sunday night, Monday morning, I'm going to send out a poll on my Twitter account. Go ahead and follow me at BlakeAndrewPace. So head to that Twitter account. I'll be putting out a poll of, you know, maybe a few things that I want you guys to decide what I am going to study on film. And then that way, in the middle of the week, I can give you a breakdown of whatever game or whatever unit we're watching. If it's, you know, the Ravens offense against the Pittsburgh defense, or it's the full game of the Giants and the Saints, I'll be, you know, letting you guys decide because I want to hear what you guys want to listen, so I can give you content that you want to that you want to hear. So make sure to check that out. Um, something new, something fun to be doing. Since this is all new this week, I, I did put out a poll, um, but I am going to be looking at the. Rookie quarterbacks, we got a, I mean, all five first round picks saw action. Four of them started. So we're going to look at, at their game specifically. Not really the, the game as a, as a whole, but their play specifically. Um, and we'll probably just do the big four that started. 
Um, Lamar, I might break down in the Ravens offense versus the Pittsburgh defense, but I'll be looking at that. Um, Other things that I put up in the poll to vote on, um, two games, Eagles versus Titans, Saints, Giants, and then two offenses that I actually really want to look at, and I'm kind of hoping that they win the poll, is the uh, Saints, or no, sorry, the Ravens offense against the Pittsburgh defense, and then the Bears offense against Tampa Bay's defense. It was a both of those offenses had great game plans. It kind of just dominated on all facets um, offensively. So I'll break down probably one or two of those, whatever, get the top two votes and the rookie quarterback. So you can check those out in the middle of the week. Big things are coming at the Blake Pace podcast, and I'm, I'm excited to be doing all this new stuff. It's fun. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to get started. <clears throat> so on, on last Friday's episode, I, I gave you my first uh, picks of the week. Um, you know, not just who would outright win all of the weekend's games, but also what teams I thought would cover the spread and whatnot. And then I also gave you my five locks. And let's just say it didn't go as good as it could have. That's what I'll say. Um, where I did best was in just picking the winners of the games. I think I went, yeah, I was over 500. I'm, we're still, you know, without the Monday night game. I still went over 500. I was seven and six. So we barely got above um, so a winning record in 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 the pick'em, um, of course. Though if if Denver does end up winning, then I'll drop to 500. Um, but then in, in and against the spread, um, my biggest advice after this week. Let's see. I only got four bets against the spread correctly. I pushed twice with the Seahawks and the Browns, um, but most of them I got wrong. I got seven wrong. So four right, two pushes, seven wrong. Still tonight, I took the Chiefs to win by more than five. So, of course, that could also go wrong or I could win and the record looks a little bit better. Um, listen, I'm not going to stop giving you my picks. I'm not going to give you my I'm not going to stop giving you my bets against the spread. The advice that I can give to you is that if you think I'm wrong and, you know, odds are I will be again, bet against me. Let's let's make it fun. You know, let's make it a social interaction where. You, you know, I'll send out my episode, my picks of the week, and then you can just, you know, send me yours, and then we'll have a little contest to see who is better. And, you know, maybe it'll be you, but maybe I'll be right. I'm not going to stop giving them to you. It's still part of the show. Just use it how you want to use it. If you want to trust what I say, go ahead, make those bets. Hopefully, we both get lucky and make some money. If you don't believe me, and, you know, I completely understand that as well, I, I, lose, uh, I lost some money too, bet against me. Lastly, last week I gave you four locks, my locks that I thought would hit easily. Um, they were the Dolphins to lose by less than seven, um, the Colts to win by more than one, the Packers to win by more than nine and a half, the Bears to win by more than three, and the Seahawks to win by more than three. I went two, two, and one. I got the Bears, the Packers correct, the Colts and the Dolphins miserably wrong, and then the Seahawks pushed. So, you know, when the Pickums, not too bad, probably will end up around 500 if not two games above 500 against the spread not that great locks went about 500 exactly 500 on the week so of course make sure to check out friday's episode um, where i will be giving my picks for the upcoming week of course i don't do thursday night games um i think they're miserable they make me mad and i lose a lot of money on them um they're just so tough to pick when you got teams on short weeks of play one team has to travel after you know having a game three days before. It's just too much, and I don't want to put my money on it. And also, we don't have a show that comes out on Thursday. So that also plays into effect. Um, but nonetheless, that episode will be coming out on Friday. 
So we're going to start off um, kind of breaking down the Texans and Colts game. Of course, the Texans, um, who had a lead for a majority of the game, they led 21-10 to 10 at halftime, um, fought off a Colts comeback in overtime, kicked a game-winning field goal to win 37-34. to 34. The Texans, their first win of the season. The Colts, with their second loss in a row, they moved to 1-3 on the year and 0-2 at home as well. Um, looking at the numbers real quick, Deshaun Watson definitely had what I would say is the best game of his season so far. 29-42 of 42 for 375, two touchdowns and one interception. He was sacked seven times. So that Colts pass rush was definitely all over Watson. Andrew Luck on the other side of things, uh, and uh, after a week where everyone called for, you know, cause and concern over his shoulder and how he wasn't able to throw the ball that well. He didn't have the arm strength anymore. They pulled him at the end of the Philadelphia game for Jacoby Brissett. What's wrong with Andrew Luck's shoulder? Nothing. He completed 40 of 62 pass attempts. 62 pass attempts was a franchise record. 40 completions was his career high. He also threw for a career high 464 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions, and was only sacked, well, he was sacked four times. Um, of course, the rushing offense for the Colts was irrelevant, actually for both teams. Um, you know, actually, you know, I take that back. Houston did have two 40-yard-plus rushers. Deshaun Watson ran for 41 yards, Lamar Miller for 49. Um, the team ran as a whole for 119 yards. Um, Indianapolis really stayed away from the rushing attack. 17 attempts for 41 yards. Their longest rush of the day was 7 yards. T.Y. Hilton, even though he got hurt, a little banged up, had four receptions for 115 yards, including you know a beautiful catch down the sideline, a teardrop of a pass from Andrew Luck. It was probably my favorite play of the evening from Luck. On the opposite side of things, Houston had two 10-reception catchers in DeAndre Hopkins, who took it for 169 in a touchdown, and then Kiki Cutie, 11 receptions for 109 yards um, on 15 targets. A couple of takeaways just from re-watching the film a, I've already stated Andrew Luck is fine. He played brilliant. Um, he got the ball out to eight different receivers. Um, he threw it for 464 yards. He was making throws essentially, you know, every route of the route tree. He had great deep ball accuracy. He knew when to throw it away when he had to. He did well outside of the pocket. There were a couple great throws in the opening drive on the run. Um, he threw up a 50-50 ball to Naeem Hines, and we'll talk about him later um, as well. But that was a great throw as well. The placement was perfect. But, you know, after a week where everyone was worried because Andrew Luck didn't throw the ball that much, it was, you know, 5.3 yards per attempt heading into this week. He had a lot of deep shots. He played aggressive. He stepped up in the pocket when he had to. And it was a much better showing. And I think the thing that people were misguided from is, is, is because in the two weeks, Washington and Philadelphia, there wasn't that heavy of an emphasis on the passing attack. Washington, there were poor weather conditions, and the Colts had an early lead, so they tried running the ball as much as they could and not really wanting to throw things in bad weather. And then the following week in Philadelphia, they did lose the game, but there were also poor weather conditions. And it was, you know, kind of just the fact that the ball wasn't coming out right, it was rainy, the football was wet, there were a couple misses, and then you put him back at home, and he shows out like he did, 40 of 62, 464, four touchdowns. So that was kind of my biggest takeaway from the game is that Andrew Luck is fine. I think, you know, there have been concerns over his career, how he does on the road versus how he performs at home. And I don't really think it's when he plays on the road. I think it's when he plays outside. 
Um, and I think that he does lose a little bit depending on the weather conditions. You know, you get so used to playing in a dome in Lucas Oil Stadium, the ball comes out of your hand differently, um, the wind doesn't affect it at all, and then you put him outside, and of course there are going to be some, you know, difficult situations that you're put in. I think Thursday will be a really good showing up in New England outside um, against the Patriots. How will do there? My second takeaway, and this is probably the, my favorite one, um, my favorite takeaway, we got to talk about Naeem Hines. Now, he didn't do much in the rushing game. You know, fifth, fourth round pick for the Colts. Um, fourth round pick out of NC State, ran a 4 3 1 40. He is got, he's lights out. He is electric. Didn't rush much. He's an undersized guy, so he's not really going to take on a lot of the role as a running back, as a runner out of the backfield. He only ran it four times for 10 yards. But in the receiving game, nine receptions, 63 yards, and two touchdowns. Naeem Hines on the first touchdown kind of did a wheel route out of the backfield, jumped all the way up over Honey Badger, over the athletic Tyron Matthew, and brought down a touchdown pass. He then, on the Colts' game-tying drive in regulation, snagged in his second touchdown of the game and forced overtime for the Colts. And now this is just something that I like to talk about because I, you know, as someone who evaluates talent, um, watches films, studies guys for the draft process, whether you know it's it's for the draft or it's NFL guys midseason, it always feels nice to be able to kind of find a guy that maybe everyone isn't noticing that well and, and actually have him you know come into his own in the league. And so I actually in a draft book um, that was for Stampede Blue SB Nation for the Colts um, did a draft book. Um, and I was actually part of, I evaluated the running backs. And Naeem Hines um, was a guy that I valued as, you know, I had said that he was a potential third round pick running back. Of course, he went in the fourth round, early fourth round. So it's around the same area. Um, but strengths, the best speed in this year's draft. He was a college sprinter at NC State. He has great running mechanics and elite speed. Given his size, Hines still plays an aggressive style of football, lowers his shoulder, and fights for extra yards. He's usable in multiple platforms, great talent as a punt and kick returner. He can also run routes out of the backfield or even line up in the slot, and we saw that a few times as well. He was moved around as a receiver last week. He has home run potential. Broke off several 50-plus yard rushes in college, catches, kick returns, punt returns. When he gets the ball in his hands, he can create plays. And then in the summary, I, I, I went down and summarized him he won't carry the ball 12 or more times a game, but he can be a home run hitter out of the backfield, lined up in the slot, or on special teams. I view him as a lesser version of Alvin Kamara, but Heinz has the ability to serve the same role next year wherever he goes. He can be the catalyst to a high-octane offense, serving as the complementary to a running power back or a, high, a heavy pass offense. And sure enough, I wrote that for the Colts, and sure enough, he gets drafted by the Colts, and I, you know, at the time, I was very excited for it. He had a very rough preseason, I'll be honest. It did not look pretty, um, but... We've seen his um, snap count increase over the last few weeks, and then he breaks out on the scene like he did last week. I mean, the, the Houston linebackers didn't stand a chance covering him out of the backfield. He broke away on some really nice plays. He was used a lot um, at a lot of different ways, and I think that, you know, when I said there was a scheme fit portion of it, and I said it was teams who ask a lot out of their running backs, um, you know, putting them in the passing offense, um, RPO, stuff like that, and I said that, Teams like the Patriots and the Eagles, great fits. Well, Eagles offensive coordinator Frank Reich moves his way to Indianapolis and brings in the same offensive scheme. And, you know, last week and, and our Sunday's performance from Hines was was great. And I'm not going to lie. I, you know, I actually, I started him in my fantasy uh, 
games this week. He's not owned by a ton of guys, so if he's out there in your waiver eyes, pick him up because I only think he gets better as the season goes on. But I started him in some leagues, and he blew away my expectations. Just watching him on the field, his ability to, to cut back, turn around up the field, make defenders miss, and create, um, and, and create space between defenders. I think that in this offense, in a connection with Andrew Luck, in an offensive scheme that uses a lot of tight end and running back combinations, I think Naeem Hines is set for a massive breakout year, and he'll fit perfect into this Indianapolis offense. And the last thing that we're going to hit on, I talked a little bit about the offense. We're going to stick there again. There was a pivotal moment in the game where Indianapolis, uh, on a fourth and four, fourth and five, in overtime, in their own territory, go for it. They call a timeout, bring back out the offense again, fail to convert on the fourth down, and in two plays later, Houston hits a game-winning field goal to seal the win with only a few seconds left. Now, in the last 24 hours, this has been a play that has been uh, a play call that has been criticized by some, complimented by others, highly debated. This is a play call that you know cost the team the tie essentially. Um, if they had punted the ball away, it would have been very difficult for the Texans to rush down in time to get a field goal or a touchdown to win it. So essentially, going for the win forfeited the benefit of at least getting a tie and ended up losing um, for the Colts. In the post-game press conference, Frank Reich said that we're not a team that, that's going to go for ties. We're a team that is going to go for wins. He didn't doubt or second-guess the play call at all. He said 10 out of 10 times we're going to go for that play. Players resounded that same stuff. They wanted to win. They didn't want to, you know, they didn't care about the tie versus a loss. And they all seemed to have a ton of faith in what the coaching staff chose to do. And I'm on the same side with them. I, I heard a few people say that they hate, you know, at the end of the year, you know, they could be, you know, the tie versus a loss could make a huge difference in, in the in the record, in the in the wild card race. I don't see that playing into much of an effect. This is a Colts team that is trying to rebuild. They might be a little better off than they thought they were at the beginning of the year, but this is still a rebuilding team. And I don't think that they're necessarily one that is going to be upset if they miss the playoffs. Of course, you want to win every week. And if you can do it early in a rebuilding period, that's amazing. That's a great start. But I also think that this is a team that really values draft picks. Placement in the draft um, would like a, a high pick in the draft. And so <clears throat> if you're a team, you know, the, the season's so early on. Where the Colts at 1-3 and three could essentially, you know, have played to the level of a 2-2 two and two team. Or maybe even a 3-1 and one team if you want to take away that they might have, you know, they had several opportunities to beat both Philadelphia and Cincinnati, that they should be trying to at least not lose. And, you know, maybe they should have gone for the tie. But we have no idea where the, where the direction of this team is going to go because it's so early on in the season. This could be a team that finishes the year at, what, 5-11, and 6-10, and 10, and yet if you have that tie, it also adds into where you're... Li so if you're not making the playoffs, you've essentially, essentially ruined a, you know, a spot or two in the draft process. And also, you, you just want to build a winning culture in your locker room. And yes, they lost. But they weren't complacent. They weren't going to be satisfied with the tie. They wanted to do whatever it was going to take to win the game. And I think that you see that with a lot of coaches that kind of just, when they're worried about their job, they're going to go for the tie because it's better than a loss. But when you've got a guy in his first year, his job is secure, and he wants to build a winning culture, you go for that 10 out of 10 times with zero hesitation because it tells your teammates, 
oh wow, we have this new coach and he is not going to grow. Com- he's not going to be complacent. He's not worried about his job. He's going to sacrifice whatever he can to bring a win to Indianapolis. And especially for the Colts, Chuck Pagano was a guy that was more just worried about not losing rather than winning. There were a lot of situations where he played casual football. It wasn't aggressive. It wasn't an aggressive style. And he's out of a job. He couldn't win. And, you know, sometimes you got to take that shot to try and win because maybe it works instead of just accepting a tie or accepting a loss. So, you know, it, it was a gutsy play call. I stick with it for the Colts. And I think it was, you know, all in all, it was a pretty good game. This The secondary is bad. You know, the secondary has been ripped apart by... You know, Deshaun Watson, Andy Dalton, um, you know, I'd also say Carson Wentz had some pretty easy success against them as well, given the poor weather conditions um, in that game. So the secondary is bad. Um, the front seven is a lot better. Offensive line is still missing some key guys and kind of just a, a unity feel. And, you know, you're missing Jack Doyle, Marlon Mack. There are a lot of things missing on this Colts team. But, you know, all in all, it was a good game. It was a competitive game. It was my favorite game to watch the week, whether it's because I'm a Colts fan or because... It was actually a good game that went down to the wire. It was a, it was a, it was a fun time, and I really enjoyed it. And I think that there are a lot of positive takeaways for the Colts in this loss. And I just realized that I spent all that time talking about the Colts and nothing about the Texans. Um, but I I don't really want to talk about the Texans. It was the first one of the year. I think they kind of lucked out playing against a pretty banged up secondary. They did a good job getting pressure on Andrew Luck. Um, Jadavian Clowney threw apart Quentin Nelson. It was a welcome slap to the NFL and brought Luck down late in the game. You know, the the Texans, I don't have much faith in them having a good, successful season. The offensive line was terrible. It gave up seven sacks to the Colts, and it's just a string of poor play by their offensive line. Lamar Miller had a 50-yard game, but still the rushing offense doesn't give me much security. They're going to have to win by being a pass-heavy team. Um, and even at that point, their, def- their defense has still been lit up a few times. I mean, the Giants lit them up last week. Um, so, you know, not a full breakdown on the Texans, but um, essentially, you know, I'm not putting much into what their season can be. So now we're going to go to this interesting thought, just of, of, in general, of how the NFL season has gone. There, There have been some amazing games. There have been some amazing plays, some amazing teams really forming. And behind it all is just this, this flourish of NFL quarterbacks. I can name you probably four or five teams right now that don't have at least a league average franchise quarterback or 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 a potential franchise quarterback. So, you know, rookie class aside or an average or better NFL quarterback. And even the ones that don't, you know, they still have a guy that they think can be the franchise quarterback. I know I don't have high hopes for Dak Prescott's career, but I know Dallas has a lot of faith in him. So even that, you know, they have their guy, apparently. Um, Denver, you know, Case Keenum isn't going to be a guy that, you know, carries your team for the next decade, but he's a guy that they have that they like. Um, You could say the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, if Jameis doesn't pan out, they really don't have their guy. Um, You could say that, you know, I would say that Blake Bortles isn't a franchise quarterback, but, you know, he has a good game every once in a while, and you know the Jacksonville players and you know franchise really seems to be supporting him. So there's another team. Andy Dalton is kind of an average guy, but has also had a really good season. Um, but you look at the entire league. I just went through the list of the teams in my head, and I'm looking at them on a screen right now. We're in the golden era 
of NFL quarterbacks. It's essentially every guy. Think about the last few draft classes. And of course, some of these rookies aren't polished. They're not going to look great. But I have faith that, you know, all five of the first round picks from last year, Sam Darnold, Baker, Josh Allen, Josh Rose, and Lamar Jackson, I think they could at worst be league average quarterbacks or slightly underneath uh, league average quarterbacks. Look at the draft class from before that. Mitchell Trubisky just lit up Tampa Bay's defense. Six touchdown game. He has potential. Patrick Mahomes, lighting the league on fire. He was in that draft class as well. And then Deshaun Watson, coming back from an ACL injury, has looked better and better every week as the season has progressed. Of course, the draft class before that was Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, the one before that, Mariota and Winston. This is, this is a perfect time to be an NFL team and have a franchise quarterback. I mean, look at, you know... If you want to look at some of the older guys that still have their franchise quarterbacks that are kicking it late in their career, New England Patriots with Brady, Pittsburgh Steelers with Ben Roethlisberger, the Green Bay Packers with Aaron Rodgers. <clears throat> the New York Giants have gotten a lot out of Eli Manning, but you know he's an, they're, they're another team that I would say doesn't have a league average quarterback. Um, but then you also you have to look at the Saints with Drew Brees, the Ravens with Joe Flacco, um, you know the Lions with Matt Stafford. Matt Ryan, uh, the Chargers with Phillip Rivers, all of those teams have quarterbacks. I mean, you just go through the list. The only teams that don't have a guy that's an average level talent or has the potential to be an average level talent, I would say is Dak Prescott and the Cowboys, Eli Manning, Denver Broncos, kind of, but Case Keenum has proven that he, you know, last season was a really good year for him. And then the Jacksonville Jaguars, but the Jaguars can win with however Bortles performs. They made it to the AFC Championship game. They were half away from the Super Bowl. It just seems that every team has either enjoyed the last seven or eight years or more with a franchise top-tier quarterback or is has their quarterback currently in their prime. You know, I like to think of Matt Ryan in the Falcons, Andrew Luck with the Colts, um, Russell Wilson with the Seahawks, Aaron Rodgers is still in his prime with the Packers. Or they have a young guy that is has potential to at least at least be a league average quarterback. And then you look at this year's draft, and I, I won't get to draft stuff for a while, but there are you know at least two guys that I think can be first-round picks. Uh, I'd say the guy from Oregon, Ryan Finley is a guy from NC State that I think has a really good um, chance to succeed in a pro-style offense, but that's just from early you know film review, kind of what I've seen on highlight tapes. But even then, if you finish at the bottom of the league this year and you're the Giants or you're, you know, the Jaguars, even though they won't, or you're the Cowboys, you know, you can get one of those guys. And I think that the, I, both of them have potential to at least be league average quarterbacks. And then it got me thinking. It got me thinking about that if I was a general manager living in this quarterback golden age where seemingly everyone you put in there has the chance to at least be a league average quarterback or win, would I pay top money for my franchise guy? Look at the guys right now. Look at some of the best teams in the league. The Los Angeles Rams, Jared Goff, rookie contract. Carson Wentz, Eagles, rookie contract, won a Super Bowl last year. Chicago Bears, Mitchell Trubisky, rookie contract. Pat Mahomes, Kansas City Chiefs, rookie contract. I just named you some of the most developed teams in the league, some of the best rosters in football, and their quarterbacks are on rookie contracts. Other teams that I think have the potential to be really good around their quarterback while he's on his rookie contract. 
I think if the Cardinals went out and spent money elsewhere, they could build around Josh Rosen. I think the Browns could build around Baker Mayfield. They already have some nice pieces there. I don't have that much faith in Sam Darnold, but they have a ton of money and a budding defense. You can build around that. Do I need to go out there and spend $90 million on a Kirk Cousins when I can just draft a guy who has the ability to be a league average quarterback in the first round of next year's draft? Do I need to trade for Alex Smith? Do I need to pay Matt, Matt Stafford a, a boatload of cash? My answer right now would be no. I don't need one of those guys. If I look at, look at last year's NFC and AFC championship games. Eagles, Super Bowl champions. No Carson Wentz on a rookie contract, but they had Nick Foles at backup quarterback. Won the Super Bowl. Jacksonville Jaguars. Weren't playing, paying Blake Bortles that much last year. It was his fifth-year option. Made it to the AFC championship game. We're a half away from the Super Bowl. Minnesota Vikings. Case Keenum. Wasn't paying him that much. Not much at all. And they had a complete team around him. And the New England Patriots. Tom Brady's not making that much money. Of course, no one's making that much money on this team. They seem to have a lot of cap space. Um, but Tom Brady's not making a lot of money. AFC Championship, the best dynasty ever in football. So if you're telling me that I need to go out and I need to sign my young quarterback or I need to bring in a quarterback from free agency and pay him top dollar to be a contender, look at the Minnesota Vikings right now. Of course, they have looked good in a few games, but right now have a losing record and just spent $90 million on a quarterback. They had Case Keenum, moved on from him, moved on from Sam Darnold, moved on from Teddy Bridgewater, signed Case Keenum, massive contract. Didn't have much money else to, to add depth, to keep in some other key guys, to build up the offensive line, to build up the depth in the front seven. And now they're starting slow to start the season. Meanwhile, you've got the Rams with their rookie quarterback on a rookie contract. They're able to pay two top corners, a top wide receiver in Brandon Cooks, the highest defensive player, defensive paid player in football in Aaron Donald, second highest paid, the highest paid running back in all of football in Todd Gurley. You can pay all those guys when your quarterback's on a rookie contract. Carson Wentz, they're paying a ton of guys on the O-line, the D-line. They've got wide receiver weapons. They've got a great tight end in Zach Ertz. Patrick Mahomes, they don't have anyone on the defense yet, but they have a lot of money to spend on it. But they're paying guys like Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey to keep those guys in there. Brought in Sammy Watkins for a boatload of money because they got their quarterback on a rookie deal. If I'm a general manager and I'm looking at things, I'm saying the we're approaching the end of paying our quarterbacks top dollar. Because all it does is take away what we can do to fill out the rest of this roster. And if we're seeing a, a golden age of NFL quarterbacks, well, then why can't I just get a new one in the draft the following year? Of course, then you have to teach a guy a new, you know, a new system. You have to get him adjusted to the NFL. Maybe he doesn't pan out, but then maybe you just go and draft another one. Why do we have to pay our quarterbacks top dollar when it's going to suffocate the rest of our cap space? When we're not going to be able to pay the Aaron Donalds and the Brandon Cooks and the Todd Gurley's of the world just because we need to pay Kirk Cousins $90 million. If I'm some of these teams and, you know, if, if I'm the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or I'm the Dallas Cowboys, and we might be approaching the end of our quarterback's rookie contracts. I haven't seen enough of him to, to be convinced that they're top guys and need to be paid top dollar. I don't think Dak or, or Jameis would get that from any team in the league. Why not fill out the rest of your roster Add in pieces where you need it. You know, I think Tampa would need it on the O-line. Maybe bring in a running back. Maybe bolster, you know, depth in the, in, in, on the defense. Everyone needs depth on defense. And maybe if you're the Cowboys, invest in, you know, a better secondary. Get some wide receivers. Um, you know, depth on the O-line. 
and then just take a new quarterback. Find a new guy. Maybe this one will hit better than Jameis or hit better than Dak does. We're in the prime for NFL quarterbacks. No one has ever been paying as much attention to the position from such an early age. Kids are starting at the age of seven now, grooming and being ready to be NFL quarterbacks. So by the time they get to the NFL, they're better than half the guys that were in it 20 years ago. We've seen from the last three draft classes that all of these guys have boom potential. So if you're telling me, and I'm an NFL GM, and where I'd rather put my money, if I'd rather give Kirk Cousins $90 million, or I'd rather have a full and complete team with great depth, and then a rookie quarterback, I'm taking the rookie quarterback with the better team at this point. Now, it's, it's different if you're the Green Bay Packers. If you're Aaron Rodgers, and you're the Green Bay Packers, your, your team is decimated. You have poor coaching in Mike McCarthy, not you know elite talent all around. You need to pay Aaron Rodgers, or else your franchise is a shit show. When they're a generational talent like that and the greatest quarterback of all time, you do need to pay them. You do need to pay Tom Brady, even though he's still not being paid that much. But do you need to pay Kirk Cousins or Matt Ryan or Matthew Stafford or Cam Newton? I don't think so. I think we're at the point, or Alex Smith. Do we need to pay Alex Smith? I think that we're at the point where we can start to get away from paying these quarterbacks top dollar and invest that money elsewhere that'll help out our team, fill out the team, fill out the roster. So just something interesting to think about. I, I, you know, Just watching all of these quarterbacks tear it up. Mitchell Trubisky on Sunday. Pat Mahomes this entire season. Jared Goff really coming into his own this year. Deshaun Watson. Some of these rookie quarterbacks. It, it's just it's so amazing the talent that is on the field at the quarterback position that I don't know if we need to pay some of these guys anymore because they'll only be getting better as it comes on. I don't think that we're going to... You know, it's just going to stop after this year that good quarterbacks come into the NFL. I think they're only going to get better. So I don't think, I I, I truly believe that the day of the NFL, paying the NFL quarterback top dollar will be behind us. It won't be next year. It won't be the year after that. But when we start watching some of these contracts come up from these rookie quarterbacks, I think we could see a real push uh, toward not paying these guys top dollar and a lot more time and, you know, allotted to paying these other guys. So just the last part of the show, we're going to kind of just discuss preview Monday Night Football. Of course, the Kansas City Chiefs traveling to Denver. Pat Mahomes taking on what I think is probably around the best defense that he's faced all season. Um, Of course, the Chargers had a good defense but didn't have Bosa. So I definitely think Denver will be the toughest challenge. It's also on the road, so you have to to think that in a tougher environment, um, the stakes will be raised. Right now, Kansas City is five-point favorites. I would take that. Um, I, I do believe that the Denver defense might be able to force Pat Mahomes' first ton- turnover of the season. But at the same time, I think that Andy Reid right now has got this whole thing figured out. I think he's got the new wave of, of offensive scheme fit, you know, play calling fit around Pat Mahomes in this offense. And I just can't see the Denver, def- the Denver offense being able to keep pace with Kansas City's offense. I, you know, the, the Chiefs defense is one of the worst in football. You know, don't get that wrong. They're very bad. But I don't know if how many teams are built to be able to score 45 points to be able to win or more. 45 points or more just to secure a win because I think that that's what you're going to have to do to beat this Kansas City team. I think this is a big game for, for Sammy Watkins. Just my little bold prediction out there. I think Sammy Watkins faced up against the number two corner for Denver. I think, you know, he might have a big day while, while the defense kind of really tries to focus in on Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill, and limiting them. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised if they go a little run heavy to throw him off balance, and maybe we see a lot more of Kareem Hunt um, or Spencer Ware out of the backfield. I think 
that you know you you got to start throwing in little wrinkles if you're Kansas City to change things up and to you know catch defenses off guard and you've gone pass heavy and you've gone pass heavy to a lot of guys but mostly you know Kelsey Kareem or Kelsey and Tyree Kill I think now to throw them off balance you go Sammy Watkins and Kareem Hunt so just something to watch out for maybe if you got those guys in fantasy they help you get their wins in the final night um So it'll be interesting to see how that goes out. Um, We will break down film in the middle of this week. Friday, we'll have my pick show again. Thank you to all for listening. If you're listening on YouTube, hit that like, subscribe to the channel, share it with your friends, your family, your uh, your football lovers alike. If you're listening on iTunes or Blog Talk Radio, I appreciate it as well. Leave a comment, subscribe. Go head over and follow me on Twitter at BlakeAndrewPace. You can also follow the show at BlakePacePod. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to me and we'll catch you two more times this week on the Blake Pace Podcast.